Welcome to How We Win, the official podcast of The Persistence. Action is the best antidote for anxiety, and we're giving you the tools to make a difference right now. Today, as the January 6th committee hearings continue, they're going on right now. We look to Yeah, we look to <laughs> the great state of Texas to see what the future of the Republican Party looks like. Uh, it turns out it looks a lot like fascism. A lot like fascism, yeah. And our Texan co-host, Mariah, sits down with the executive director of Texas GunSense, Nicole Golden, to talk about the incremental but incredibly important legislation that we are all fighting for right now. All of that, plus our reasons for hope. I'm Steve Pearson. And I'm Mariah Craven. And And this this is is How We Win. A Texas-heavy podcast today, but there's a lot going on here. Well, we've got our Texas expert as a co-host since you're living (laughs) there now. And, um, you know, I'm just in my glorious double bubble in (laughs) Los Angeles. Um, But, yeah, there is a lot going on with Texas. And I think it's important that we look at it and talk about it because – States like Texas and Florida um, are really showing the blueprint for the Republican Party and uh, and what their quote unquote platform is looking like, and um, it's not good. Uh, no, they they have they have quite a few extremists in their party, and it's like we talk about this all the time, right? It's just really hard to see how they go forward as as one party especially when you have you know some republicans even threatening to hunt and shoot moderate republicans how do you continue to to work together when when you know a faction of your party is creating ads like the one that we saw out of um, missouri this week you're talking about the former missouri governor eric greitens who is running for senate there literally calling for violence. This is what the Republicans are doing. And, and we're, we're seeing the stark reality of, of what that means um, laid out for us in the January 6th commission hearings. Um, and we are seeing both in those hearings and in the actions of, of people like Greitens how urgent and, and serious the situation is right now, not you know, back when the January uh, 6th insurrection happened. But, uh, you know, how much uh, threat our democracy is under right now. And um, we need to stand up to this threat. We need to uh, volunteer and vote in overwhelming numbers because um, it's it's really scary uh, what's happening. Yeah. I'm kind of all um, over so- the place with the news, but it's all connected. <laughs> It, it is all connected. It's also an opportunity to remind people that this guy was accused of sexual assault and domestic violence. And we're going to talk about this in a second, but it, it might be possible that people like him shouldn't have access to guns. Um, so, but before we get, we, before we get to that, everyone is waiting breathlessly to see what the Supreme court is, is going to release this month. Mm-hmm. Um, Today, you know, people were fully braced um, for them to roll finally officially roll back Roe versus Wade. You know, we we know that that is an all likelihood coming. That decision did not come down today. Instead, they ruled that a main tuition program can't exclude religious schools from receiving state money. Um, you know, again, this is an, another sign of what this ultra conservative court is going to do. You know, I think the next round of decisions comes out on Thursday. And so we're still waiting on that one involving Roe versus Wade, a second amendment case um, involving carrying concealed weapons in public in New York state, school prayer, climate change, and immigration. Um, So big, big stuff left to come out. And based on the rulings that we've already seen them make, um, not necessarily good signs for what's to come. Not a whole lot of like uh, the Supreme Court is not going to make it into my reasons for hope segment uh, this week. <laughs> and and this uh, this main tuition program ruling 
is is really significant uh, because, yeah. uh, and it's, it hasn't been one that's on the top of, of mind for a lot of people. But uh, when you look at this uh, decades-long effort by Republicans and the Christian right to literally take over our government and take over power in this country, um, not all religious schools, like there's, you know, um, my daughter went to a uh, an Episcopal high school, right? A private Episcopal school. You're not saying religious schools are bad, but given that we're supposed to have a separation of church and state, they're not supposed to be uh, publicly funded by our tax dollars. That's correct. And, and beyond that, there are some really bad religious schools who are uh, not teaching facts, who are uh, indoctrinating kids, and they're taught that Democrats are the devil. The Democrats are, you know, I mean, they're, they're taught this from an early age, and, and you have to be a Republican. Uh, they're indoctrinated with this kind of stuff that um, – you know, it's hard to overcome that. And that's what Republicans have done. That's what the religious right has done with kids early on. So now with this decision, our tax dollars are subsidizing those schools, are, are helping pay for schools that are indoctrinating children with lies and, and crazy theories and not teaching evolution and um, – to your point also, there's supposed to be a separation of church and state in our country. So it's very serious. And, and uh, of course, our small liberal wing in the Supreme Court all dissented on this decision. Yeah. Um, the other big news is the January 6th committee. Um, like we said, there's a hearing happening as we are recording this. The committee is actually going to add at least one additional hearing based on solely on the number of tips that they've received mm. from from people that have been i guess watching and maybe thinking oh <laughs> i should i should let somebody know about this thing i know um, right. but but this uh, before they come knocking on my door right that's that's true as well um but the the hearing that's happening right now is focused on the state elected officials that were pressured to overturn the election results in their states this is all part of this like really brilliant methodical uh timeline that this committee is laying out that um man just the the revelations keep coming yeah yeah, it's powerful. Uh, if you didn't hear last week's episode with Glenn Kirshner, um, he has been, you know, breaking down these hearings uh, mm -hmm. in, in a really helpful way, and uh, it made me feel good about what's going on. I mean, I felt good about it anyway. There was a recent poll that sixty percent of Americans think that Trump should be indicted. Right now, that's the highest we've seen that. That mm. or it might be slightly over sixty percent, and and wow. and you can look at that poll and say, well, that's only like thirteen percent of Republicans, but that's a very significant voting block of of our country. So, um, or even if they don't show up to the polls, that's significant, right? So it's interesting watching it all unfold. It's it's it brings so much back. There's so much news being broken every single hearing. Um, and uh, it's happening right now while we're recording. So I'm, we're being very disciplined doing our work right now because I really <laughs> want to be watching it. One thing that I've been thinking a lot about from after last week's hearings um, was Mike Pence. And really, you know, mm. and they, I think new pictures came out of him watching the video of Trump talking to the crowd and telling them how much he loved them and how beautiful they were and that sort of thing. Um, and like, there's a part of you that is angry with people like Mike Pence because they helped put Trump in the position that he was in. And then there's a part of you that's so relieved because Mike Pence really prevented, helped prevent Trump's ability to take down a democracy. Um, and, and so you're like, well, maybe he went along with Trump because he thought he could be the adult in the room or something like that. And then... Just when you're starting to feel okay about him. Yeah. 
Fox business host Larry Cutlow asked Pence if he'd ever seen a president lie as much as Biden. And Mike Pence said he he agreed that Biden is the most lying president of all the time, all time. And says there's never been a time in my life where a president was more disconnected from the American people than we see today. And you're like, oh my God, my God, my God. You're still drinking the Kool-Aid and it was poison Kool-Aid. And you, and you, and we told you it was poison Kool-Aid and he worked for Donald Trump, which as a reminder, the Washington Post found that Donald Trump made 30,573 false or misleading statements during his presidency, 21 lies per day from Trump. That takes and work. Mike <laughs> has, it takes effort. And Mike Pence as delusional as, as ever. Yeah. No, Mike Pence is, is, uh, has been, uh, you said he worked for Trump. He was, you know, Trump's lackey. He went along yeah. with everything. He, he's supposed um, to work for us. He's supposed to work for us. Uh, yes, he did the right thing at zero hour. Um, he didn't have much of a choice, as we see from, uh, from the committee hearings. Everybody, um, was telling him that there he had no role to play in this other than to ceremonially certify uh, these electors that there was no way that the vice president could overturn this or or change this or even send it back. So it's it's not like 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 if he if he had had a, a legitimate option to back Trump and do that and there was some you know real legal people telling him yeah yeah there's a way to do this i mean even eastman uh, we learned knew that it was illegal and and said that uh, also you know who was the eastman being the lawyer who created this whole scheme so who knows what he would have done uh, i was watching rachel maddow and she made a really good point about him and Barr and the people that we've seen so much who, thank goodness, zero hour at the end, they they stood up for our country and not for the person that they'd been backing and, and kowtowing to the entire time. But in this particular uh, hearing that we're missing right now, but we will catch up on later, we're actually hearing from some Republicans who did sound the alarm as soon mm -hmm. as the pressure was put on them, who put out statements saying that there was no fraud and um, and that they've been pressured and that there's a threat to their lives and, and all, all of what we saw in unfolding in, in especially in Georgia. So – you know, those are the real heroes, the Republicans that as soon as this happened said, look, this is happening. They're trying to overturn the election and not the people who are like, OK, I guess we're not going to get away with this. I better cover my ass and um, mm -hmm. and quote unquote, do the right thing here. So, mm. man, we really rely on tenuous. It's tenuous. All, we need to codify these. We, you know, we, we got some fixing to do with our democracy. We, it, it is uh, a, a tenuous democracy right now. Mm -hmm. and, and we're seeing it, uh, again, uh, an example of this in Texas about what the G, where the GOP would like to see our country go with the uh, Texas GOP's convention and their platform. So do you want to fill us in since you're, you're living there um, on – what oh, they... I have, I have, I have nothing to do with this. I just watched. And <laughs> I'm not blaming shock. you. I'm just saying as, I want to give you the opportunity to to talk about it. Well, I get so the convention, the the Republican convention was this past weekend, and I kept seeing tweets coming out from from people who were there. I'm like, this what? None of this makes any sense. But their official platform includes rejecting the results of the 2020 presidential election you know the, in the, the, the wake other of everything other, that we're seeing <laughs> they're they're so again like to steal to steal a, a line from colbert we know what news channel they're what cable news channel they're watching because they're clearly not seeing any of what's coming out of the january 6th committee so anyway right. they're, they've said like biden is an illegitimate president and they're not saying let's turn over all the republicans who were elected in texas in 2020, 
just Biden, just that one part of the election. <laughs> right. So anyway, um, they want to get rid of the 1965 Voting Rights Act. Sure. They make basically they make homophobia an official part of their platform. Um, I think the big news coming out of this is that they basically just reminded everyone that they have the right to secede from the rest of the country, which is, you know, a terrifying idea, but it's never going to happen for the mere fact that all the federal funding goes away, Social Security, Medicare. There are a lot of, let me tell you something, there are a lot of senior citizens in Texas. I think they would be a little bit angry if they suddenly lost their uh, health care and Social Security. Border, border security goes away. You know, all of the things that Texans like would go away. And instead, we would, uh, I guess, be led by a group of people who, to be quite honest, can't even keep the lights on here. So that's right. That's the news. Yeah, Texas uh, seceding from our union would be disastrous to the people who live in Texas, people like you. Um, and most of us aren't interested in this, just an FYI. So I know I see a lot of people going, let them secede. We don't need Texas. Take Oklahoma with you. But, um, most of us are not insane, so. That's, that's right. And, um, and it's just such a, a hateful platform. And, a, and, and you mentioned makes homophobia an official part of the platform. And to be in 2022 and right in the middle of Pride Month and, and have them officially on their platform say that homosexual behavior is not considered normal is – uh, shocking and hateful and beyond the pale, and um, mm. and this is this is where the Republican Party uh, has been heading for a long time, um, and uh, and they feel emboldened now by what's happened in the last four or six years, and um, and they're just saying it all out loud and uh, and swinging for the fences with their platform of fascism. Um, we got to stop. We got to stop it. You know, I mean, we've got to get more people knocking on doors, making phone calls, donating. We've, um, this this has to be we can't eke by a win. Uh, it, we, we have to have a blowout win in the midterms uh, in these races. Um, it's it's so important because we don't we have more to overcome than we did in the 2020 election. Uh, there's more voting restrictions that we haven't been able to push back on because of the the Senate and the filibuster um, and not being able to pass the Voting Rights Act um, or the the new voting rights legislation. Mm -hmm. So, um, so if you're kind of waiting for the right time to to do some stuff, it's the right time. It's really, really the right time right now. This is it. Yeah, get on it. Fun, uh, fun show so far. <laughs> Lots of good jokey jokes. <laughs> um, we are going to have more information about what you can do in our, our to-do list. Um, Let's talk about our hero of the week. You've got a great one. Yeah. Um, uh, soccer star Megan Rapino, always a hero. Always, She's always standing up for something good. Mm -hmm. Just so appreciative of her. And this week, uh, she's speaking out on behalf of trans kids in the wake of additional rules banning them from some sports. Megan reminds us that sports are supposed to be fun and inclusive for kids. Right. And we are making them dangerous and horrifying and threatening. And trans kids are particularly vulnerable to suicide, as she points out. Anything we can do to make them feel like they're part of something uh, would go, would, would literally save lives. Yeah. Um, so we, when we're, when we're making these decisions, we've just got to remind ourselves that so often we're talking about kids and um, keeping kids safe and including them in as much as possible. Like why wouldn't we make that the priority? Uh, I know that this is an emotional topic, for some people, for some reason. Um, so I appreciate Megan Rapino like bringing it back to, to what this is all about and reminding us of that. Yes, she truly is always our hero of the week. 
Um, so for this, let's talk about this week's to-do list. Let's put be more like Megan at the top <laughs> of this week's to-do list. And then second on the list is join us in the How We Win Fund. You can go to swingleft.org slash fundraise slash how we win and be part of this national effort to fund the most critical raises at the most critical time in this election cycle. Couldn't have said it any better than that. I'll just say the the link again. It's swingleft.org slash fundraise slash how we win. And, and I want to thank everyone who has donated already. Um, mm-hmm. we, uh, we have well over our goal last week of getting 100 individual donors in there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, um, and we've got some exciting announcements about this fund and some partnerships on this that we're going to be rolling out in the coming weeks. Can't wait to tell you about that. But in the meantime, please do share this with your friends and family. And um, early money does what? Oh my God, I blanked. On the, the, it's your quote. It's like, it's like well, it's, early, a, it's a Emily, Emily's list quote. Early money is like yeast. It makes everything rise. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. That's the quote I was looking for. Um, so don't wait to donate. Uh, don't wait to volunteer. And then the second thing is don't wait to call your senators. We talked about this last week. We have this really important bipartisan gun legislation Uh Yes, it's not everything. Yes, we need to do way more. And we're going to hear from Mariah and, and Nicole Golden about um, about that right after this. But it is so important that we make progress that, you know, whether it's incremental, uh, these are measures that will save lives. So we need to call our senators right now and tell them that we support this as Mariah said, we're hoping to have the legislation actually written by the end of as we're recording this today. Um, so when this podcast comes out, fingers crossed, there'll be the actual legislation. And then um, the uh, Senate is looking to fast track that and make sure that it gets a vote before the uh, 4th of July recess. So now's the time. Keep the pressure on our senators and thank them if they're in support of it, too. That's really important, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're going to hear from Nicole, who's going to dive a little bit more into um, what the what's in the legislation in just a second. And then we'll be back with our reasons for hope. Nicole Golden is the executive director of Texas Gun Sense, an organization that advocates for common sense, evidence-based policies to reduce gun injuries and deaths. She is also an advocate for social change and a founding leader of Moms Demand Action. Nicole, thank you so much for joining us this week and being part of this incredibly important ongoing conversation. Um, I want to start off by talking about how you got into this work, because I think it's it's going to be relatable to so many people in, in a way. You say that December 14th, 2012 changed the course of your life. It absolutely did. Uh, there's not enough words to describe how much it did. I was um, a mom of little kids at the time. My boys were two and five. And I was just, a, I was a stay-at-home mom. I had a social work degree that I wasn't, I wasn't working professionally at the time. And when Sandy Hook happened, I was on the floor for a while and then like figuratively and literally and then I I picked myself up I I cried lots of lots of days and then once I sort of um was ready to to take the next step I started looking online for what people were doing and um and I found the Facebook page of Moms Demand Action it wasn't really Moms Demand Action yet it was just Mm -hmm. kind of an organic coming together of people page. And I, I, um, I joined it and I started chatting with people across the country and started to become an organizer. Mm-hmm. And I founded the Austin group of moms to man action. And, and I really never looked back. Um, what was it like becoming an organizer at that moment? Had you had any organizing experience prior to that? No, I really had not. Mm-hmm. I had worked, um, as a social worker, for um, a handful of years. And I, I mean, I had done like, you know, some canvassing when I was younger, 
for environmental causes, but I really, I really had not, I, I think I was a mission driven person who just hadn't found that mission quite yet. Mm. And um, now I look back and I go, oh yeah, I always was that person. Like I just, I, that's who I am always was. Um, but I just, I don't know. It feels kind of like sometimes I ask myself, did, did, did the issue of gun violence prevention find me or did I find it? I don't know, but I just landed so completely in it. And then I just, I spent years devoting all my time. I wasn't paid as a volunteer. And of course I don't speak to you today as a mom's man action representative. I'm not, mm-hmm. I'm not a leader with that organization anymore, but the right. work there changed my life and the people I worked with changed my life and survivors of gun violence I met changed my life. And, um, and I decided at some point I wanted to work on it more permanently and professionally. So that's kind of how I ended up here. Um, yeah, like I said, I think that, that, that feeling and that story is so relatable to, to a lot of people who are listening. Um, on this podcast, we started encouraging our listeners to support your work in the wake of the mass shooting in Uvalde. And I want to talk about what Texas Gun Sense is doing. Mm-hmm. Um, but first, can you give us an update on what's happening in Uvalde right now and how the families are doing? So um, I haven't been, some of our, um, some of the people you and I mutually know have been out there. Mm-hmm. Um, our part, we work regularly and our partners with Community Justice Action Fund. I know one mm-hmm. of their, I know one of their um, staff members who I talk to all the time went out there to just kind of do some listening with the community. Um, so I, so I can't speak from having been, I can tell you that I helped or I helped to lead and organize and, and guide the March for Our Lives students who held a rally here last weekend. Mm-hmm. And there was a Uvalde family that came mm-hmm. and um, they, they looked, I will, I don't know the best word I have to describe it is they just look lost. Yeah. It was like a, like emotionally lost. It was like a heartbreaking sight uh, to see that lost look on people's faces. And they did speak they, um, for a few minutes. They, mm-hmm. You know, we, we invited them up if they chose to. And that um, a little girl who died, uh, her sister spoke, her older sister and her father. Um, and, uh, you know, again, words kind of words fail at times like these. It's, um, I, I, I cannot imagine what they've gone through. I have not gone through it myself. So I recognize my limitations there. Mm-hmm. I, I can't imagine what it feel, obviously what the families are going through and also the work that you do and all of the activists who've been involved in this for so long, mm-hmm. when something like this happens, it must just be, um, like I said, I can't, I can't imagine what kind of mental setback that is. So, and you just had, you know, this moment of community, like you said, with uh, so mm-hmm. many activists this, um, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, mm-hmm. So how is the activist community handling this right now? Well, I can speak from just, you know, I lead an organization. I lead an, I lead the only statewide organization in Texas that mm-hmm. works on this issue specifically. So I can just tell you my experience was that when the, um, when the news hit, I was sitting in a coalition meeting that I co-lead mm-hmm. and it was like, I kind of started to get texts and little notifications and just the, I, I, you know, I sort of said to the group, I'm seeing some terrible things. And like, we all just kind of, I don't know, it just got very quiet. And we just, we just got off. And, um, and the phone immediately started ringing with media. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I wasn't, um, I wasn't oh, emotionally, I had to just immediately start compartmentalizing, I guess I would say, mm-hmm. um, just completely compartmentalizing my feelings, you know, about, um, about what happened in Uvalde and just, there was no time to cry. I, I didn't allow myself to pour over the stories and the details and the names and the pictures because I didn't think that I'd be able to do media and do my job. Right. Um, and I know myself and I know how empathic I get. Some, sometimes I become debilitated by my, my, my empathy and my heart. And I cave in on myself a little bit and I did that when Sandy Hook happens. And I did that over the years, periodically, when I was an activist, there would be certain, certain gun violence stories that I could sort of 
was able to handle and others that I just couldn't for whatever reason at that particular time. Um, and so um, I couldn't let myself kind of sink like that. And um, so I, I put certain details aside and just answered in media like wild and just uh, just trying to keep our heads above water with mm-hmm. um, all the invitations to speak and, and all the interest we got from, from the public, it was great, but it was just, we're a small organization. And so it was just, um, managing that was, it was just a crisis for, it was a crisis for days, the phone rang. And I think the rest, I can't speak for the rest of the activist community, except to tell you that, um, those of us who do this work have been trying to prevent things like this. Um, we, um, it comes on the heels of many other mass shootings in Texas and many other daily shootings that don't hit national headlines and don't grab media, but still deserve our attention. More than 4,000 Texans were shot and killed in the most recent data we have, which is 2020. And that's an increase from what we used to see. Um, So we've been, we've been trying so hard. And so it's, it feels, um, I wouldn't say it broke, our confidence because I think we have more conviction than ever. It just feels, feels like you're screaming like, you know, into the void sometimes. And in fact, that's what I started saying immediately to media is just, we've, we've been at the state legislature every session trying so hard to make small changes or big changes, anything we can. And being that voice of reason and being that voice of empathy and being that voice for change and bringing the data and bringing you know, um, the other stakeholders with us and just, uh, representing, I think the most people, um, when, uh, and when we, when we speak there and just to see this happen again in an elementary school, uh, was, um, um, you know, uh, uh, well, again, words fail really. Yeah. yeah. Um, I want to talk about the state legislature and then the the federal policy that that may come in the in the next few days. Um, yeah. Do you think that the Texas state legislature? Just, I know they're on a break right now, but mm-hmm. you think that they're open to change? Like, do you think that do you think they can be open minded right now? Gosh, it's it's so hard to say. I've been getting that question. I've been getting that question a lot, and. Um, of course, I don't know what they'll do, right? I don't know what they'll do. I um, I have a lot of familiarity with that legislature. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, I, I, am, I am feeling slash hearing that their offices are hearing from a ton of constituents. Yeah. So yeah. I think I speak for most people when I say something has to be done. When I say some, the time to act is now and people are looking to Texas, um, for, for change. And I think, I think I speak for most gun owners and even most, you know, I think people from a broad range of backgrounds in the States. Um, Mm -hmm. I heard from some offices that they are flooded with phone calls, uh, which is not typical for some of the offices that I heard that from. Hmm. Um, so that, I mean, that tells me we don't stand alone. Um, and that the pressure is coming from within di- their districts, um, which I hope it can, I hope it continues what they'll do. I, I don't, I don't know. Um, we have been through some really brutal legislative sessions. The last one in particular, yeah. um, by, by the way, let me say we're a bipartisan organization. We're a resource to anyone. We work with everyone and we would love to see, um, it, you know, we, we would love to be able to bridge those gaps and come together on common sense solutions because I do still firmly believe that the solutions we put forward um, represent most people, maybe not a strong, a, a small, you know, fringe group, but uh, that happens to be very vocal. But for the most part, the things we work on are, 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 have broad appeal. Yeah. I mean, let's talk about Texas gun sense for a minute, because I think that's mm-hmm. one of the, the super smart ways that you approach this mm-hmm. is that you're strategic Mm-hmm. Um, and you, like you said, most reasonable people are mm-hmm. on board with protecting the second amendment and mm-hmm. having some sort of common sense policies that protect communities from gun violence. Right. So, yeah. Can you talk yeah. a little bit more about what your organization does? Yeah. Absolutely. We're a 501c3. We don't work on elections. We don't support candidates. Um, 
we everything that we share with offices we'll, we'll share with all offices we, during you know ses- legislative sessions or leading up to them we visit all offices with the same information um which is data behind gun laws and and how they work and how states with stronger gun laws have fewer gun deaths and um we you know we share you know polling and we join with other stakeholders who represent a you know broad range of backgrounds we lead a coalition of other organizations and advocates ranging from you know folks in the um education um field to doctors to mental health and dom- domestic violence advocates and others um so i know i know we again i know we don't stand alone um we mm-hmm. we visit every office and we provide them with that information you know, we try to get some reasonable bills filed. And we also do a lot of defensive work to try to push back against the harmful legislation that is that is brought forward in our legislature. Mm. Um, oftentimes, the bills that we have worked on, frankly, haven't made it out of committee. And that's disappointing. But that's not to say there haven't been a few successes. We, for example, were able to work with um, a, an ally at the Capitol to to get some funding for a safe gun storage um, mm-hmm. campaign that's statewide. So I, I consider that a, a, a huge success and we're going to keep coming back to build on, on what we've done there and to grow that, um, that platform. Um, you know, we've made some key relationships and I think the way I see it is there's some, there's some aspects of the, of the political will that is just not simply in our control at the moment. Um, yeah. at, the, at, at the legislature. However, I think as things shift, and I believe they will shift, that we will be there having provided the infrastructure and the data and the support for long-term change on this issue when, you know, when that time comes. Yeah. So until then, we need to keep, we need to keep up the pressure and see what changes we, we can make incrementally. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, speaking of incremental changes, mm-hmm. let's talk about this um, federal bipartisan mm-hmm. deal that we're hoping to see legislation on soon. What right. What do you think of it? I I view I view the proposal as as a, a sign of incremental change, and I believe in incremental change. Not because, and that doesn't take away from the fact that I'm a hugely passionate person who wants to see big changes. But I also have to be a practical person working on one of the toughest issues. And um, I, I think that when you do this work, you have to play the long game. Mm-hmm. And, and in order to play the long game, you have to celebrate incremental change and you have to, you have to adopt a strategy of chipping away. Mm-hmm. And I consider, um, I consider what's happening at the federal level a, a big sign of incremental change. Uh, is, is, it, is it everything we want? No. But if we decided to pack it up and go home every time we don't get everything we want, we w- I wouldn't be here almost a decade later. And truly in that decade, we really haven't seen something like this. After Sandy Hook, yeah. we really thought we would get it. We did not yeah. get it. That was, that was tough. But um, Uvalde has, has propelled this moment forward. And, um, and all the work that groups like mine have done and others to get us here, I, I, think, we should, I think we should own that and celebrate that. And I think the package has a lot of important elements in it. Yeah. And I think that it should get passed. And I think that once it's passed, it, I, I want to see clear implementation of it mm-hmm. to make sure that it's actually effectively put into place. Mm-hmm. And then I think we just keep, we build on it, both federally and statewide, to, yeah. to, to build on those successes and call on our state lawmakers to, um, to act, uh, you know, to follow suit. Yeah. Um, let's say you have a, a magic wand and, and you can get, for sure one policy passed statewide federally whatever like what what's the one that you would focus on that you think would make the most have the most impact do you think that something are you asking about something one of the package one of the proposals in the package or just anything it could could be anything yeah Yeah. oh gosh one thing it's so hard (laughs) I know it's, it's hard to pick. And the reason it's hard to pick, I won't avoid your question, but the reason it's hard to pick is because look, there's not like one form of gun violence and one type of gun violence, right? There's mass shootings, which horrify us and leave us in this perpetual state of fear. Um, when we go shopping or send our kids to school, right? but there's also everyday shootings, domestic violence, right. um, unsafe homes, you know, uh, 
a suicides, suicide with firearm is a major crisis, um, unintentional shootings, um, and community violence in communities that have lacked the proper investments. And, um, and so I, I say all that to say that there's not one form of gun violence and not one solution. Um, I, I, I will tell you what the federal package, I think that closing the boyfriend loophole is a major step. Okay. Um, because what we've had up till now is only protections for domestic violence victims who um, have uh, lived with or shared, been married to or shared a child with their partner who was abusive. But this covers people who have a dating relationship or in, and are in just as much danger. I think that's a, a really huge step forward. Um, what, I, what I'd like to see in, in Texas, well, we still need to close the polls on background checks. Um, yeah. You know, we, we don't require a background check on every gun sale. It's such a basic and easy requirement, something that most people get behind. And we need better tools for families in crisis, like an extreme risk protection order, otherwise mm-hmm. known as a red flag. Mm-hmm. The federal legislation, I think, offers some resources and incentives to states to have a red flag in place, but it's not a true red flag law. And then I, I honestly think right now, even among a wide range of Texas voters, uh, limiting access to our semi-automatic weapons is, is more popular than I've ever seen it. Mm. And I, like for a long time, it was like a non-starter conversation. I no longer think that's true. And I think offices in our state legislature are hearing that from people. So I think, I think that deserves urgent attention. Yeah. I think there's a moment to meet with that. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, how can we help move your work forward or, or help support it? Well, um, we, we are a small organization. Um, it's, um, we, we could always use financial support. Uh, however big or small, um, to grow our capacity and our sustainability over the long term, because clearly Texas needs us and all eyes are on Texas right now. So we want to keep leading that work effectively. And to do that, like any nonprofit, we need support. Mm-hmm. You know, I think, I think also uh, just sharing uh, the broad message and maybe even highlighting voices that demonstrate the broad appeal that common sense measures have. You know, mm-hmm. you guys have a platform that might be able to do that. So that the common ground of this issue is constantly highlighted. Um, Because I think it's far less divisive than we really, than it may seem. Mm. Okay. And then um, our last question that we ask all of our guests, we like to end on a positive note is Mm -hmm. um, what is giving you hope for the future right now? Um, Community is giving me hope and the growing intersectionality of the work is giving me hope. And the local progress that we've been able to make to get investments for community violence intervention to end the cycle of everyday gun violence. And the way that I've been able to support that with groups like Community Justice Action Fund mm-hmm. um, get, gives, gives me hope. And to, to see a growing group of local um, lawmakers and, and leaders who are doing what everything in their power despite a, a challenging state legislature that that really that really gives me hope and and my um my the way that I talk about gun violence has deepened and broadened since I first got involved to, in a way that I I've learned from people in bl- black and brown leaders at, about th- what daily gun violence looks like and who it's affecting the most and um it you know I I think I think we have a much broader deeper picture of it now and we're attacking it from the problem from all sides in an intersectional way I'm really committed to that and it it gives me hope so and I think just the growing movement um, that I've seen grow from something smaller and quieter to something big and permanent yeah mm-hmm. um, community is a great reason to have hope and and mm-hmm. um, we have talked about on this podcast for a couple of years now how sometimes it feels when we have these these mass shootings, it's always so shocking and feels like, oh, you know, you kind of feel like a little bit hopeless. And then you look at the organizers and activists across the communities that are doing this work and in every state. Um, 
at every level and tackling all the many problems that you talked about. And that's just such a, a reason to hold on to hope. I will just, I'll say last weekend, I helped some of the March for Our Lives teenagers do their events. That was another very hopeful, um, you know, like just to kind of be able to pass, pass on things a little bit. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I think, you know, um, I was really tired, but, uh, once, once I did, went and helped them, it like kind of, you know, I think it lifted all of our spirits a little bit. They were like 16 years old, you know? Wow. So yeah. Um, and we have, those of us who've been doing this a while have knowledge to offer them and then they're going to do amazing things with it. I hope so. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Thank you for, for adding that. And we'll be sure to include it because yes, I think they, when we, like I said, we ask every guest that the same question at the end. Yeah. And so often it's, you know, so it's Mar- the March for Our Lives kids or other, you know, teens that are organizing. And mm-hmm. I always tell my co-host Steve, I'm always like, I feel it, it makes me feel like we're leaving them with such a shitty world. I know. But <laughs> they're doing so many amazing things and they're going to make it so much better that, yeah. you know, it, it, yeah, it is. It's it's hope. It, I feel guilty and hopeful all at the same time. I know. Well, it's not on them only. I mean, to yeah. leave it, I think there's a weird balance there with like not saying this is yours to fix, but right. like also saying like, we'll help you we'll pass the torch, but help you with it. And that's yeah. exactly what we did. Like me and Amber Goodwin mm-hmm. and Chaz Moore, we just helped them. And it was like, Oh, it was great. And they're only a couple of years older than my older son who doesn't like to go to those things. <laughs> um, and so like, well, you know, it makes me feel like I can, I can do something there and, and not leave them alone to fix it, but at the same time, give them the tools to be advocates. Yeah. I love that. I love that Mm -hmm. perspective. That's, that's really helpful. Yeah. So Nicole Golden, thank you so much for the work that you do and for, for chatting with us a little bit about it today. We really appreciate you. Thank you very much. Great interview, Mariah. Um, Great to, to hear couple of amazing activists from Texas who are stepping up um, during a difficult time and doing that work. So thank you for that. Yeah, it was uh, great to talk to Nicole and um, just really grateful for, for the work that so many of fo- folks like her are doing. Um, now let's talk about our reasons for hope. Steve, what's your reason for hope this week? What's keeping you lifted up? <laughs> uh, I have to say the the January 6th committee hearings are both putting me on edge because it's showing how uh, tenuous our democracy is, but it's also giving me hope because um, I'm feeling some public opinion shifting. Uh, Glenn Kirshner's interview from last week gave me a lot of hope. I think mm-hmm. we're going to see action from the Justice Department. I think we're going to see indictments, and I think they're going to go – um, all the way up. Uh, so uh, I'm guardedly optimistic about that. Uh, again, I, we have a very strong role to play in all of this, and that is to make sure that we vote uh, for people who are going to be protecting our democracy and fighting for our democracy and not uh, and not continuing to push the fascist playbook. So um, but it's giving me hope. And also I'm scared. But I'm mostly hopeful. Oh. <laughs> All right. We'll take mostly hopeful. And <laughs> right. What about courageous about the rest? What what about well, you know, that's uh bravery, right, is acting in the face of fear. It's not not having fear, it's acting in the face of, of fear. That's what courage is. So so let's be courageous and hopeful right now. Love it. What about you? What's bringing you hope? So, um, on my birthday slash the Juneteenth federal holiday, wait, Beyonce Damn released it. a new track with Big Frida. That's what called, that was called Break My Soul. And people are, it's giving people hope because people are taking it as this sort of post pandemic, 
even though we're still kind of in the pandemic, post-pandemic anthem of hopefulness and changing your life and taking control. And it's making people feel so good and saying, it's okay that the last couple of years have been heavy on you. Like dance and break free from that. And in a world where, you know, Kim Kardashian is telling you you don't work hard enough <laughs> and 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 people are angry that you collected unemployment when when you're when you lost your job during the pandemic. Being seen is so important and I think this track is doing that for a lot of people. Um and I'm very excited that we're going to get a whole Beyonce album this summer. And I'm loving this tease that she's given us this week. <laughs> That's my reason for hope. I love that. You buried the lead, though. <laughs> Happy birthday. I can't believe I missed your birthday. So You know, I'm not, I'm not a birthday person, but the fact that Beyonce happened to release something on my birthday is a good sign. It was a gift <laughs> for you and for all of us. And it explains a lot of the cryptic posts that were on Twitter, like... People love to post like, uh, I'm really digging this or I don't get it, you know, and I'm supposed <laughs> to f figure out what they're talking what about. Talking what that about? Means, so. it's, it's, the, it's, the, it's the new single. So check it out. And I hope it makes you feel good and free for a moment from, from everything. Love it. All right. I will check that out. Uh, I hope everyone else does too. all so much for joining us this is how we win we win when we all get involved we want to hear from you send us an email at hello at howwewinpod.com or tweet to us at bluesboysteve and at mariah underscore craven please make sure you subscribe rate and review on apple or wherever you get your pods uh, share us with your friends help us build this community of informed and active volunteers this is how we win that's right. We appreciate you being here with us and we'll be back with more next Wednesday. See you then. MSW.